0: Ray Brown's talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Or Leans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLbean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Plenty of birds are making Rhode Island their winter home. Come with us on some of our free year-round walks that are listed on our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and follow us on Facebook or become a member and stay up to date with our quarterly newsletter, Ocean State Bird Club.
2: Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 712. Well, this raptor really shook up the birding world recently. It's a great black hawk. Last spring an immature individual of the species was seen and photographed at South Padre Island, Texas. That sighting was the first ever for this neotropical species in the U.S. It was observed for about 20 minutes and then not seen again. But then On the 6th of August, an immature Great Black Hawk was photographed in Biddeford, Maine and determined to be, as photographs showed, the same individual. And then after months of no new sighting, it was again relocated on October 29th in a public park in Portland, Maine. Then it disappeared again until the 28th of November when it appeared a couple of miles away from the previous spot at Deering Oaks Park in downtown Portland, Maine. Then something unfortunate happened. This is winter in Maine, after all. The bird suffered frostbite on one of its feet, losing part of a toe in the process, according to a local vet who treated the bird. The good news, according to our friend Doug Hitchcocks at Maine Audubon, is that the injury shouldn't impede the bird's ability to feed itself, even though, he says, the likelihood of survival for any vagrant so far out of its range is very low. Doug says he thinks the hawk will have the greatest chance of survival if it's released after it recovers and after winter in Maine is over. That's the latest in the saga of the great black hawk. Stay tuned for updates. Well, I think we know that birds see things that we don't see. And now scientists apparently have figured out a way to change that or kind of change it in a way, as we're about to learn in this visit to the Talking Birds Science Corner, where our own Debbie Bleacher awaits. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. Well, good morning, Debbie.
3: Good morning, Ray.
2: So what's this new research on bird vision?
3: It is a new study that's about a certain type of camera that has been built to replicate the vision of birds and other kinds of animals.
2: Mm -hmm. So we can learn a lot about this Special new technique?
3: Uh, Yeah. Researchers at Lund University have designed a camera that sees colors the way birds do, and they've taken pictures with it.
2: All right. So what is so special about this camera? How does it work?
3: Well, um, let me start by talking about bird vision a little bit. Uh, Birds see more colors than humans do. Human color vision is based on three colors of light, which are red, green, and blue. But bird color vision is based on four colors, red, Mm -hmm. green, blue, and ultraviolet. Um, which we call UV. Mm-hmm. So birds' eyes can perceive UV light, and ours can't. And this camera has been has been built to to be able to take an extra filter so that that UV light can be factored into the photos.
2: Uh-huh. So what exactly did they do, these these researchers?
3: Their, their names are Cynthia Tidor and Dan Eric Nilsson and they work, for the, they work at the Lund Vision Group at uh, Lund University. Um, well, first of all, they replicate, decided to replicate bird vision uh, using this camera because it's a lot like our vision, except for that ultraviolet thing. Mm-hmm. So they use the camera to take pictures of some landscapes in Sweden and New Zealand. The photos show that the two sides of leaves probably look very different to birds in daylight than they look to us. Mm. Yeah, Um, the upper sides look kind of purplish because they're reflecting a lot of UV light. The lower sides, though, look green because they're in the shade. Birds can see the difference, but we can't. (laughs) Um, We humans see just green shades when we look at leaves, but a bird flying or hopping around in a tree would see something much more complex. So this matters because, well, here's a great analogy, I think. Um, I think of it kind of like reading. If you can't read, a newspaper looks like a jumble of black marks. But if you can read, you see letters and words and entire newspaper articles. So this camera um, shows that UV light helps bird read the green landscape.
2: Hmm. So so what do they plan to do with what they've learned or are learning from this camera?
3: Um, Well, like I said, they designed the camera to use a lot of different filters. So they're going to use it to investigate how other animals see. Hmm. Um, And aside from the fact that this information is fascinating, it also helps us to understand the evolution of vision which might reveal information about the history of animal life and plant life and even our atmosphere because Mm. of the wavelengths of light in it. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, I don't think this camera is going to show us why some people don't see the dishes they leave in the sink.
2: Well, we need something that makes the dishes disappear altogether. Oh, absolutely. Can you work on that for the next report?
3: Absolutely. Debbie
2: Blacher joining us here in the Talking Birds Science Corner. (laughs) Meanwhile, we move on to the mystery bird contest preview, not the actual contest, but the preview of our contest. It would be the sound of our mystery bird, or some of the sounds of our bird. Some clues here. It's one of the few species found only in the United States, usually in mature southern pine forests. It's a black and white tree trunk hugging bird with a large white cheek patch, a black back barred with white, a black cap, and a black mustache and neck streak. The male has a very small red streak, kind of like a little ribbon on each side of its black cap, which helps get the uh, bird its common name. It feeds on insects by scaling loose bark from pine trees, by probing into crevices, and by excavating in rotten wood. Clues about our mystery bird. We have beautiful prizes, including the double suet feeder from Dorol Yankees. That's Dorol Yankees. D-R-O-L-L. Dorol it has heavy-gauge wire that holds up for years of use, perfect for treating your backyard birds to their favorite suet or fruit. Plus, a download to your iOS device or online access to the Larkwire app. That is the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. And that's on our mystery bird contest, which is coming along um, in just a little while on this morning's show.
4: Extra.
2: On our Facebook page this week, how a bird fools fish by turning itself into an umbrella. And how playing the saxophone might help some flightless parrots get into the mood for romance. And we even have a bird-themed cartoon that we're pretty sure will make you laugh or at least chuckle on our Facebook page right now. Meanwhile, one of the things that we're most thankful for here at the Talkin' Bird show is, of course, our listeners, and even most especially our listeners who become Talkin' Birds ambassadors... And help spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. And they include these new ambassadors, Isabella B. from Alamosa, Colorado. Thank you for your kind thoughts, Isabella. She says she's been an avid birder for um, more than 40 years, taking a birding class in college. She has an undergrad degree in biology. After her birding class, she took ornithology. At the time, she says Cornell was the only university to offer advanced ornithological studies at that time she says i was newly married had a young daughter and i hate to say it women didn't pick up and move across the country with those responsibilities she says we learn so much about ourselves and our environment when we are birding finally after all these years i can identify most local birds by their songs pretty cool and thank you isabella and thank you to celia t from kenosha Wisconsin, she says I've loved birds my whole life and bird watch regularly in the great state of Wisconsin. She does some other cool things. We we don't have time for them this morning, but we, we will uh, talk about them on a subsequent show. And thanks to Aline J from Brownsville, Pennsylvania, she says she lives with a view of the river. She's trying to get permission to feed birds from her third story window. So we'll get an update. On that, to become a Talking Birds ambassador, just click on the contact button at talkingbirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Coming up on our show, we'll talk with Al Bat from Minnesota and Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod. And next, our featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine for more than a quarter century, birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend is... the Golden Cuckoo? Well, that's its original name, as designated by the great taxonomist Carl Linnaeus in 1758. It's known by a different name now, and over the years, it's had lots of monikers, some of which are still in use, like Cotton Rump and Silver Dollar Bird, old names from Pennsylvania. In Maryland, it was once known as the Dishwasher, on Cape Cod, it used to be called fiddler, and in Wisconsin, meadow partridge. Native Americans in Michigan called it Ozaw One Day Paw Paw Say, a name derived from the Potawatomi words for yellow and flea, the latter thanks to the bird's way of jumping around erratically. And in various other places, at various other times, it's been called Will Christen, Harry Wicket, Hi Ho, Wake Up, Walk Up. Wickup, gawker bird, and cotton backed yellowhammer. And its common name was changed officially just a few years ago. We now call it the northern flicker. One of the most beautiful creatures ever to bask by a backyard birdbath. In the east, we see the yellow shafted race of this beautiful bird with its striking golden coloration under its wings and tail, and on the male only a distinctive black mustache. Seen from above, its white rump makes it easy to recognize in flight. Out West lives the very similar red-shafted version. The Northern Flicker is a woodpecker, but it's very different from most of its brethren, feeding mostly on the ground, digging with its unusual, slightly downward-curved bill and specially adapted tongue that has a sandpaper-like surface and is covered in sticky saliva with which it extracts ants and beetles from their underground burrows. The northern flicker is also unusual in that unlike most other woodpeckers, it will move into a nest box. If you see northern flickers around your neighborhood, you might put up such a box. You'll get to help raise another generation of this spectacular species. And you'll also keep that cotton-backed yellowhammer from trying to make the side of your house into its home. Today's Talkin' Birds, featured feathered friend, the northern flicker. There's something about nest boxes. We're going to talk about roosting boxes with our man, Mike O'Connor, in just a little bit. Here on our show, number 712, hope you'll visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TalkinBirds. Al Bat is a storyteller who loves birds. He's the author of the book, A Life Gone to the Birds, He's a columnist for Bird Watcher's Digest, watching backyard birds in many newspapers. He's also a trustee of the American Bald Eagle Foundation, and he's here with us right now to tell us, among other things, how beautiful creatures keep him warm on cold Minnesota days. And this really is one, isn't it, Al?
5: Yeah, Ray, it was it 16... 16 below zero here, I guess, and it was interesting, you are talking about flickers, I just saw a pair of them out here flying Ooh. around, enjoying the sunshine, mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, boy, if we get sun here, we're just happy campers, and <laughs> it's, it's on its way to 29 below, so, you know, we always, we, I, I'm fond, mm-hmm. because I grew up hearing, well, it could be worse, and uh, in this case, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be worse, wow. I guess, so 29 you know, below.
2: You're indoors now, I hope.
5: I am. Okay, good.
2: (laughs) Well, part of your latest column, uh, Al, is headlined Naturally, and I wonder if you would just uh, read that little piece for us. It
5: would give me uh, great pleasure. I walked, enjoying how nature had filled my yard. The cold had been overly ambitious, but my Arizona's for wimps t-shirt warmed me. (laughs) I hit the trail, hoping curiosity might drag some information with it. I took a lovely walk, filled with wonder and discovery. It was a quiet day. The outdoors must have been listening. I hope to stumble upon things. I paid attention to the things in my yard. Mary Oliver, a favorite poet of mine, had just died. She had written, Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. She also wrote this, To pay attention, this is our endless and proper work. There's always something out there in the wild kingdom. I spied with my little eye. Snow, a foot of it and a deer far off in the distance. It was looking at me or something near me. High numbers of deer reflect a productive landscape. I saw a study that found a white-tailed deer will eat over 600 plant species and up to 3.5% of its weight daily. I know people exceed 3.5% at a single lutefist feed. I moseyed past a nice cherry tree that given up the ghost. The yard chipmunks will miss it as it... Fruits were a favorite of theirs. A bald eagle flew overhead as I pruned a tree. The DNR estimated there were 9,800 pairs of bald eagles in Minnesota in 2017, and a 2018 survey found nearly 1,700 bald eagle nests in Iowa. Wow. I busied myself providing room service at my bird feeders. Feeding such beautiful creatures warmed me on a cold day. My winter coat helped. I tell myself that winter is on my side, but it can be ornery. I'd led a field trip when it was 33 degrees below. The good thing about that was that it wasn't 34 degrees below. (laughs) It warmed slightly, and the Floridians in the group had never heard before anyone say this until I said, it's up to 31 below. I remember years ago when I'd see evening gross beaks some winters. I don't see them in my yard anymore. These handsome grocery beaks displayed prodigious appetites at the feeder. A chickadee was busy at my feeder. It was on a diet in which it ate only one thing, more. I watched it fly into the shelter of a small tree and fluff up for warmth. On cold days, being fluffy is a good thing to be. I guess so.
2: it was a perfect day. Naturally, hey. thank you so much, Al. Little audience got a little ahead of itself there. Well, you weren't quite he, finished, but we got. You have
5: quite yeah. a crowd there. They are yeah. very
2: enthusiastic, and they and they love to hear hear that. And Debbie Bleacher is here in the studio with with us too, and she's she's um, silently clapping here. Oh so yes. She's a, oh, hi, yeah, hey, Debbie. Yeah. Hey,
3: thank you. nice nice to nice to hear you. But, nice
2: Al, you have to come east sometimes because we we have quite a few evening grow speaks here uh, this year.
5: Oh, and I miss them, and the last one I saw, a lady called me and said, I have, like, the world's largest goldfinch at my feeder here. (laughs) So I went over, and it was the world's largest goldfinch. It was even Grosbeak, and it was just one. And I do go farther north to see them in Minnesota, but I don't get them down here at all anymore, and I I sure miss them. It's like that favorite aunt that used to show up unexpectedly, and you're just so happy because she always brought wonderful things.
2: Al Bad is the author of the book, A Life Gone to the Birds. He's a columnist for Birdwatcher's Digest, watching backyard birds in many newspapers. His Twitter handle is bat underscore allen, A-L-L-E-N. And you can find his complete column that we just heard part of uh, where, Al?
5: You can go to Twitter, or if you'd be interested, boy, feel free, anyone, to email me. It's A-L-L-E-N-B-A-T-T at gmail.com, and we'll hook you up, as they say.
2: All right, Al. thank you for being with us, and try to stay warm.
5: I'll do that. And, hey, thanks for all you do. You make a difference. I really enjoy your show.
2: Thank you so much, Al. Coming up next here, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. <laughs> Tanzania hosts more than a thousand bird species and on safari with Nasera Safaris you'll see the birds and the big five. The lion, leopard, elephant, rhino
0: and Cape Buffalo.
2: That's Nasera Safaris founder and guide Joseph Dunguru. And Nasera Safaris provides more, says co-founder David Clapp. We
5: offer customized safaris and mountain climbing adventures in Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda, and gorilla trekking in both Uganda and Rwanda.
2: Going on safari in Africa is an unforgettable experience, and there's no better way to do it than with Nasera Safaris. See their website for details, naserasafaris.com. N-A-S-E-R-A, Nasera Safaris. Hearing the sound of our mystery bird this morning. It's one of the few species found only in the United States, usually in mature pine forests. In the south, it's a black and white tree trunk hugging bird with a large white cheek patch, a black back barred with white, a black cap and a black mustache and neck streak. The male has a very small red streak, kind of like a little ribbon on each side of its black cap, which gives the bird its common name. It feeds on insects by scaling loose bark from pine trees, by probing into crevices, and by excavating in rotten wood. What is that mystery bird? Please tell us or take your guess, because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. That's right. You don't necessarily have to get the right answer, so give it a try. 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. We have the beautiful Droll Yankees double suet feeder and a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. That is a cool thing that makes learning bird sounds a game. Bonus and prize there, in addition to our Droll Yankees feeder, 781-837-4900 is the number to call here on our Mystery Bird Contest. Meanwhile, what about those um, roosting boxes? Is that a good idea to put those up? We'll get some thoughts on that with Mike O'Connor. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute.
1: Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation.
0: My name is Tim Griffith, and I'm calling from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I decided to become a Talking Birds ambassador because one of the things that I always live by is a quote from Teddy Roosevelt that says that your love of nature is only half served unless you share it with others. And that's exactly what Ray Brown's Talking Birds does
1: talking birds listeners we hope you'll become a talking birds ambassador just visit our website talkingbirds.com click on the contact button and then choose the become an ambassador option we'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors that's the contact button at talkingbirds.com and thanks
2: we're about to say thanks to mike o'connor down at the birdwatchers general store in cape cod for telling us the i guess the pros and cons about um putting up roosting boxes in your yard, or any place else, I guess, for that matter. Good morning, Mike. Oh, good morning. Boy, <laughs> you know, um,
0: you know, Cape Cod can have some bad weather, but after hearing Al's story about Minnesota, I'm not <laughs> in a hurry to go there right
2: now. And you know, he's in Heartland, Minnesota, which is in kind of in southern Minnesota, not really any farther north, I don't think, than we are here in southern New England. But I guess they get those...
0: Polar yeah, vortex
2: things going even the dipping.
0: balmy part of the balmy <laughs> part of thirty six. Well, holy smokes! But that, yeah, that's what we're talking about. What birds do in the winter, and for years, people have sold, including people like myself, or made uh, roosting boxes. And a roosting box is where, in theory, birds can go in the wintertime when it's really cold to get out of the weather, you, which you would think they would use. And a roosting box is like a birdhouse only in. Instead of the traditional spot where the hole is up towards the top, the holes are at the bottom. Hmm. The thought is that the birds fly in at night, and then the hole at the bottom, so the heat rises. And instead of having vent holes like a birdhouse does, the top is sealed, so the heat stays inside and they have a series of perches in there. And that's the thought. And. Um, and i don't know at this point whether the birds actually use those or not um you know and i would love to hear from any of the listeners that have any information on that mm-hmm. we sell these but i'm not real comfortable that the birds actually use them um, only a handful of birds we use them anyways uh cavity nesters like chickadees and titmites and wrens and nuthatches that l- like to go into birdhouses would perhaps in theory use those. Certainly, other birds like cardinals and robins—they're not going to go in those because they're afraid of dark spaces. So it's only a handful of birds that use them, anyways. And in this, there's some good photographs online of bluebirds going in, in 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 birdhouses to get warm. You get a bunch of them; they they cram themselves in, but they're not going to use the the roosting box. They'll use a more traditional birdhouse because they gather on the bottom and huddle together like quail to keep themselves warm. So, um, I don't. I'm not really sure of these roosting boxes that we've been sell, you know, selling for years and telling people, you know, that the birds <laughs> need. I don't know how much they're being used. So I, I would like to hear some yeah. listeners' thoughts on that. But I know there's one thing that we sell that I used to make fun of. It's called a roosting pocket. I think they came over from England. There's these little grass. Mm-hmm. They look like almost like tiny gourds, little hole in them, and. Um, you've, well, I used to make fun of them, and it turns out they're a little bit more successful. I put one out, and, um, and the Carolina wrens go in there every night. They just, like a pair, you see the little tails sticking out, and they kind of gather in there, and I put one behind the shop, and the sparrows used it. So these are a lot less expensive alternative mm-hmm. But you have to put them kind of out of the wind. You can't stick them out in a tree where we put other stuff feeders and things. They have to be like in a in a an alcove, maybe under a porch or a, a deck or someplace to get out of the wind. And um, and you can, and they're so small, you can see the birds actually going in though. So those those have been successful anyway. So this alternative, yeah. just stay out of Minnesota. Holy smokes!
2: Okay, yeah. And by the way, uh, is your return desk open today, Mike, for all those people bringing the roosting boxes back? <laughs>
0: No, yeah, this, well, we, all our stuff has a 100-year guarantee. Yeah. If it's not used in 100 years, come on back and we'll get your money back.
2: Okay, and the receipt <laughs> is a good... you got to have the receipt. The <laughs> That's right. All right, Mike, talk to you next week. Sounds good, man. Okay. We'll be okay. back to the Mystery Bird Contest right after this message. For over a quarter century, Bird Watching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Back here at the Mystery Bird Contest, here is the uh, sound of our mystery bird. Our mystery bird, clue-wise, is uh, one of the few species found only in the U.S. It's uh, maybe kind of an an obscure clue, but found usually in mature southern pine forests. It's a black and white tree trunk hugging bird with a large white cheek patch, a black back barred with white, a black cap, and a black mustache and neck streak. The male has a very small red streak, kind of like a little ribbon on each side of its black cap. This might also be an obscure clue, but that does give the bird uh, its name or part of it. It feeds on insects by scaling loose bark from pine trees, by probing into crevices and excavating in rotten wood. That's that's what it does. So that's our mystery bird. We have those beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and Larkwire, that beautiful app that makes learning bird sounds a game. But who knows what our mystery bird is? Could it be Emily in uh, Tallahassee, Florida? Comes from Tallahassee. Tallahassee Lassie. She <laughs> <laughs> is that Freddie Boom Boom Cannon? yes it is all right good (laughs) i I get a couple of points for that one i think i hope emily is still there from tallahassee hi hi emily how are you
4: Hi, I'm great. How are
2: you, Ray? Good, thank you. Uh, it's probably a little warmer there than in uh, Heartland, Minnesota, this morning. I'm guessing. Oh right? my
4: goodness, I can't imagine.
2: It's 45 here. It's beautiful. 45, which is pretty cold for you, actually. It's right?
4: It's pretty
2: cold for us. Yeah. <laughs> but that's plus. So anything with a plus in front of it, you know, Al would think is uh, good to me. Is pretty good. Is pretty good. <laughs> uh, well, Emily, you uh, you heard uh, our. Um, oh, by the way, I have to ask you about a place that I visited, and I think not far from you once called Wakulla Springs. Is that place still in operation?
4: Oh yeah, Wakulla Springs. It is, yes. We uh, we used to have glass bottom boats, but the water's been a little murky lately. But we do have the Jungle Cruises where you can see all kinds of birds and alligators and manatees and yeah. I lots think of good stuff.
2: They used to film uh, some of the movies there, the, uh, the, the Tarzan movies. Yes, I think, the
4: um, Tarzan movies yeah. and the um, Creature from the Black Lagoon was filmed there as well.
2: Right, yeah, it's an amazing place, Color Springs. <laughs> Beautiful. Let's see, we were doing the mystery bird contest here at one point. We'll go back to that <laughs> and see if you can tell us what the uh, mystery bird is. Okay, my guess is the red cockaded woodpecker. You got it. <laughs> nice yes. job, Emily. Red cockaded woodpecker, it is. Yes, I went, I went on a trip
4: about a year ago and we were able to see them uh, near here. So it was awesome.
2: Near Tallahassee. Very yes. cool. All right. Yes. Emily, thank you so much. Stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you that stuff.
4: Thanks,
2: Ray. We're out of time for this morning. Uh, National Audubon blogger Nick Blund, a.k.a. Nick Lund. Not Blund, but Nick Lund hes a blogger. Uh, He's also called The Birdist. Uh, Anyway, he'll be here with another of his birdist rules of uh, birding next week. Thanks to Mark Duffield. Special thanks to you, Debbie Bleacher. Thank you. And to our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week.
0: Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Or Leans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Plenty of birds are making Rhode Island their winter home. Come with us on some of our free year-round walks that are listed on our website www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and follow us on Facebook or become a member and stay up to date with our quarterly newsletter Ocean State Bird Club